Frequency Cast. Startup in progress. Hi, and welcome to Frequency Cast, the UK's digital TV and technology show. At Frequency Cast, it's our mission to keep you up to date with today's tech, answer your questions, and keep you entertained along the way. Our shows are driven by your feedback. You decide what we talk about, and we'll do the rest. Here's what we'll be looking at today in show 106. Cutting-edge creations at a Raspberry Jam. How you can print your own printer. Cover your webcams, the Russians are coming. Shortwave and the numbers stations. Plus BT versus O2, Rogue Reporters and your feedback. First off, here's Pete with the latest TV and tech news. Frequency cast, now loading, news. Headline time for December 2014. Now, we don't want to worry you, but according to Ofcom, Freeview viewers may be in for a change from 2019. To free up more space for 4G services, Freeview will be leaving the 700 MHz band. It's expected that the changes will cost up to 660 million to upgrade transmitters and change aerials. Some were worried that this change might bring about another digital switchover, but fortunately it's estimated that less than 1% will need a new aerial, and 2019's quite a way off. Next, we recently reported that mobile phone firm EE is entering the TV market, and their new set-top box is now here. This has an impressive four tuners built in and a big enough hard drive to record a rolling day's worth of Freeview TV. The EE box also streams to mobile devices, connects over Wi-Fi and has access to on-demand services. It's free with EE's 995 broadband package. See the link on our website for more. Hot on the heels of EE's TV service, Vodafone has announced plans to launch its own internet TV service in early 2015, as well as a return to the home broadband market. More when we get it. Next, news of the latest from Google. Tired of wading through a barrage of ads on your favourite websites? Google Contribute could change all that. The service, currently under trial on a few sites, will let users decide whether to have ads or pay between $1 and $3 a month for an ad-free experience, with some of that money going to the website's owner. Would you pay for ad-free browsing or are you immune to online ads? Let us know. Next, prepare yourself for the sixth emergency service. Damaging your mobile phone can ruin your day, but a US firm, iCracked, has just launched in the UK, offering to get an engineer dispatched out to you to repair your phone on the spot. At present, only London is covered, but iCracked is looking to expand to other locations next year. Next, a new take on wearable fitness trackers. The Pavlock wristband tracks your movements and sleep and can be used to control bad habits, such as not getting out of bed on time or spending too much time on social media websites. How does this do it? By sending a 255-volt shock through your wrist. Masochists can now pre-order for $199. Ouch! And finally, thanks to listener Glenn for sharing this with us, taken from the Daily Telegraph's letters page. Sir, last weekend the drive up to London was improved by listening to a Sherlock Holmes audiobook on the car's CD player. I was amused by my inability to follow the plot as closely as I would have liked and put this down to middle age. It was only when arriving at my destination I discovered the CD player was on shuffle. Thanks to Phil in Hampshire for sharing that senior moment. I know how you feel. 
Thanks, Pete. For more TV and tech news, go to frequencycast.co.uk forward slash news or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Frequencycast, now loading. Focus. Frequencycast, focus. Hello, Kelly. Hi, Pete. How are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? I am so cold. This temperature has dropped. I wasn't quite prepared. Ah, it's that time of year, isn't it? Anyway, let's uh, warm ourselves up and warm our listeners up with a quick look at the the latest tech news. Now, you're a Samsung sitting in front of you there. You have muted it for today, haven't you? I have, yeah. I got in trouble last time. Now, you and me, we have something in common. We're both with the same network. Who are you with? O2. Same here. Have you heard the news, though? O2 may be sold. No, I've not heard this. Okay, well, back in the 80s, we had Cellnet that launched in 1985, and that was jointly owned by BT and Securicore. Bet you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Securicore sold their bit in 1999, and it rebranded as BT Cellnet. Three or four years later, they became O2, and in 2005, was sold to Telefonica. Okay. 2007, O2 acquired a broadband company that brought us O2 Broadband, and then they sold that to B Sky B in 2013. And now it looks like BT, after selling up, want to get back control of O2. So they've put in a bid for six billion to uh, reclaim O2 under the BT banner. And if that doesn't go through, apparently they're after EE because they're desperate to get back into the mobile phone market. My theory is they definitely had projections as to where everything was going to go. And actually, nobody really uses their home phones. I mean, the majority of houses you go into, they let them ring because they expect it to be a sales call. There we go. So we can expect lots of news about BT getting into the mobile phone market before too long. Instead of O2, it'll be BT O2. Next up, Kelly, how's your laptop? Dying. I like it. It's your little Toshiba sitting over there, isn't it? Very nice. Little. However, you do have to be very careful with your laptop for one very specific reason. Any idea what I'm thinking? No. Give you a clue. Here is your early Christmas present. Hand out, please. Okay. The latest security add-on for your laptop. Black tape? Yeah. It's a roll of black insulation tape. Every home should have one. Why? Again, you've not been watching the news. Have you heard about the Russian website with all the links to webcams? Yes, I have. Yes, 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 I have. Oh, my gosh. It's a Russian site that lists literally thousands and thousands and thousands of webcam feeds, not only from CCTV cameras around the world, but also from people's webcams, like the one sitting on top of your laptop screen there, baby monitors home security cameras, all of these videos are all being collated and shared on a Russian website. That is so concerning. And it's normally done because people don't change the default passwords that you get out of the box. So people that you know switch on these uh, home webcams and security cams and don't bother changing the password from password or 12345 basically mean that this Russian website can just hack straight in and show a live real-time feed from cameras around people's homes. Oh my God, and I'm one of those people. Hence the present. Take a little bit of black insulation tape, stick it over your webcam, just in case. You never know who's watching. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. That is potentially the best Christmas present I've ever received. 
So, a, a lesson to all Frequency Cast listeners out there. Change your default passwords. And if you're not using your webcam on your computer, uh, cover it up just in case. Yeah, and how many celebrities are going to get caught out with that? Well, if it's any help, I've spent a couple of days looking for yours. I couldn't find yours anywhere. Oh, how hilarious. You're listening to Frequency Cast, the UK's technology radio show. Now, Kelly, do you remember last month we talked about the International Space Station and kids uh, talking to astronauts? Yes, I do. Oh, that was good fun. I can't wait. Next year, Major Tim is going up, our British astronaut. Oh, how exciting. And will the kids get to speak to him? We're hoping so. He's got an amateur radio call sign. So in theory, uh, yes, we can say ground control to Major Tim. Amazing. I like it. And I'm glad you got your pun in there. You were clearly waiting. Had to be done. Had to be done. The reason I mention it is because the ISS has a new addition. Have you heard about this? No. Finally, they have a 3D printer up there. It was delivered last week, and it now means that Mission Control can email them a spanner or something like that, and they can print it out up there. And they're testing that the zero gravity still lets you make 3D items, and it seems to be working. How cool. Well, it's about time. How exciting. And linking to that very, very neatly, without an obvious gear change here, I was out and about uh, the weekend before last at something called a Raspberry Jam. Ever heard of Raspberry Jam? Well, only the stuff you spread on your toast. This is a get-together of various people that are into things like Linux programming and the Raspberry Pis, you know, these little computers, the Arduino chips, all that kind of stuff. Brilliant day, all this wearable tech and, and robots and everything else. And there was a guy there with a printer, printing 3D, and next to him he had another printer. And here is Alex to explain what was going on. The first 3D printer, I bought all the parts from the internet. I then decided I wanted another one, so I actually printed all of the parts for the second printer with the first printer. So if you want to buy one of these, you're, um, if you go down to some of these uh, sort of the curries and, and the like, you're looking at £1,500 plus. If you're building these as a kit, I gather they're a bit cheaper. You can build a kit from seven to £800. But the way to do it is to actually learn the technology yourself and to actually assemble it from parts, from threaded rods, nuts, bolts, washers, solder the electronics together. It takes time. But you can build a current model uh, RepRap 3D printer in a weekend for a cost for five to six hundred pounds. So apart from using printers to print bits for other printers, what else can you actually use one of these for? I've printed some replacement window catches for a friend's caravan. I've printed all sorts of oddities, some puzzles. I've got a Gordian's Knot puzzle. If you look that up on the internet, you'll discover that they're a complete nightmare to assemble. I've printed too many oddments and bits and bobs to remember. Now obviously to, to print something you can't literally take a photo of it, you need to do a sort of a 3D version. If someone gave you something and said could you print me one of those, how would you do it? What do you do from a software point of view? If you gave me a 3D CAD file, computer aided design file, the first thing I would do is put it into a format called STL which is an open source format for 3D models. I then put it into a slicer which literally creates layers and turns it into G-codes which is again is a standard format of machine language. I then feed it down a USB cable to an Arduino 
which converts the G-codes into motion on the motors to actually create my object. You make it sound so simple. Uh, can you think of any possible uses for, uh, for this kind of technology going forward? How many people have thrown away household objects because a small part has broken? If you can design it, you can print it. If you can print it, you can repair whatever it is that's broken on whatever household item that you're about to throw away. So what about that then? The idea of a 3D printer printing spares for 3D printers? Well, this may surprise you, but I find that utterly amazing. I'm just a bit worried about the International Space Station, though. If they accidentally get their printer up there to print another printer, they're going to be full of printers. There'll be no room to do anything else. Well, surely they can just throw them out. I mean, they may just end up floating in space. We'd probably have an um, environmental crisis, but past that point. You can't just open the door and lob your rubbish out, you know. It's not how it works up there. Why? I'm sure they've got, like, an ejector chute. And a cat flap. Could you imagine a space shuttle with a cat flap? There you go. So well done to the crew on the ISS for your first 3D printer. Just be very careful. Don't accidentally press. We've all done it. We've had a document and you've gone into file print and you hit print. And instead of printing one copy, you print 100. If you're not careful, you'll be full of printers and you have to throw them out the cat flap. Or spanners. Sticking with the Raspberry Jam, we had a good chat to some of the other people there. We caught up with Laura, but first we spoke to Peter. I brought along what's actually four 32 by 32 LED arrays as a big 64 by 64, which doesn't sound like high resolution when you compare it to your monitor, but actually for playing simple games on, it's very good. So I've had uh, lots of kids wanting to play Tetris and sliding puzzle games and things. So I think I've kept some of the youngsters out of their parents' way today. All running through a Raspberry Pi, is that right? Yeah, it all runs off a Raspberry Pi. It pushes the Pi pretty hard, actually, because you have to keep refreshing the screen all the time. It's not like a normal monitor. So uh, what is the appeal of an event like this for you? That's a bit difficult to say, really, because I was involved in this sort of in, this sort of thing in the 1980s, the first time around with the BBC and, and all that sort of era. And it's people coming along to, to see what they can do, what's new, learn about things that they've not done before. You know, there's lots of experts here that you can ask the questions of, so no, they're, they're good. I'm Laura Travail. I'm an artist and a member of SoSlug, which is Southend uh, Linux Group. Clearly a wooden theme going on here, is that, would that be fair? Yes, it's a, a wooden computer, uh, it's actually a wooden computer case. It's probably the most elaborate Raspberry Pi case there is. What's, uh, what's this doing? Uh, it's actually a device that allows you to talk to inanimate objects, so you can have a conversation with anything you've got in your pocket. So if you've got a bit of old gum or a coin, or a cigarette or, or something, you can uh, ask it how it feels about the world. So we're in a hall that's full of people with computer screens and Raspberry Pis and Arduinos and whatever else. What is the attraction of coming to an event like this? It's partly, I think, the just the atmosphere of being able to stumble across something new and to kind of learn a bit more about how the things we use in the world work. People are revealing what is basically magic and then explaining how it works. What have you seen that's caught your eye today? There's a robot arm, which is great, that's got a camera on the end and that can be controlled from anywhere. I'm very interested in the wearables those people are making. They're sort of like little stitched on programmable LEDs. I'm really interested in what people are doing with Minecraft. I don't play it myself, but I think that there's something incredibly beautiful about being able to code and make something 
that then exists in an alternate world. Good to see as well, lots of these, these small people, you know, the, the shorter people, they're, they're brilliant, they're really getting into this, aren't they? Yeah, it's really great. And the thing that I really love about uh, what this kind of thing has as a space with adults and children is it's actually really levelling because there isn't that thing where the adults know more than the kids. Everybody knows different things about different stuff. And I think that's really important and rare and should be promoted more these days, I think. And uh, can I just get a blatant plug from you for your website? I did have a look around your website. It's very arty. It's a little bit odd in places. Uh, just uh, give us your web address. It's www.lhtravail.co.uk. So there you go. Raspberry Jam's good fun, aren't they, Kelly? Well, it seems so. Keep an eye out. Raspberry Jams are all over the country, as well as hackathons and all these sort of get-togethers for, for techie geeks. If you get a chance, go along. You will certainly learn something and have a lot of fun. Well, you've got to make sure you invite me next time. It's a bit unfair you didn't flag this up. I thought it was too geeky, even for you. Oh, I don't know. Printing your own 3D printer's pretty cool. Hi, this is Dave Prowse, Darth Vader from Star Wars, and you're listening to Frequency Cast. Okay, internet radio, DAB radio, FM radio, and even old AM radio, as well as podcasts. Always you can listen to radio stations, yes? Yes. How about shortwave radio? Have you ever listened to shortwave radio? No. And nobody ever does, do they? Do you know what, actually? That's a little bit of a lie. When I was in Ghana, I did listen to BBC World Service. So that would be literally the only time. Well, a voice that was on Frequency Cast a year or so ago, a chap called Jim Salmon, has just launched a shortwave radio programme. And I thought, this is a bit odd. Who listens to shortwave these days? Okay. So we caught up with Jim to find out, A, what shortwave's all about, and B, why you'd want to launch a radio station on shortwave in the 21st century. Shortwave has the advantage of travelling over much, much greater distances. Any FM transmitter will have a limit of maybe 20, 30, maybe up to 100 miles. But shortwave can effectively go around the world. And uh, that is has been, as far as I'm aware, the main reason for uh, countries running their own shortwave broadcasting services. Now, I kind of get the point that you can hear stations from around the world, which you couldn't do before. But now we've got the internet. If you want to listen to an Australian radio station, you just fire up your web browser and you can dip in and listen online. So why does shortwave survive even though we've now got the internet? Well, this has been a problem for shortwave and there have been a, many countries have now switched off their shortwave transmitting services. Shortwave radio has a way of reaching through to people. Whilst the internet is available in many parts of the world, there are still a large areas where even if the internet supply is there, people are unable to afford to buy equipment to actually receive the internet. Uh, and it may even be as simple as the fact they can't afford the battery systems or the power supplies to actually keep those smartphones or those computer systems going. Whereas a good old-fashioned shortwave radio, maybe a wind-up radio or solar-powered radio, uh, can cut through that and make that information that is being supplied accessible to people. You've launched your own radio show on shortwave. Why have you picked shortwave? I think it's important that we still recognise shortwave as a medium that should be uh, looked after and saved. And it's quite interesting that broadcasters now seem to be questioning uh, the fact that they have turned off shortwave transmitting systems. So we are getting a bit of a resurgence in shortwave broadcasting. Now I have to ask, shortwave, 
something I've discovered fairly recently about shortwave is these numbers stations. Just give us a feel for uh, for what they are, because I know you uh, you do occasionally listen into those, don't you? Going back to the early fascination with shortwave, I remember tuning around on a radio and suddenly hearing this voice just reading out a random set of numbers. It would be a, a woman's voice, a child's voice, sometimes a small amount of music uh, as an interval signal to start, and I had no idea what they were. But there have been people who have researched this quite uh, quite effectively. And whilst numbers stations have never been officially recognised by any government, uh, there have been people who have uh, looked into these. The general view is that they are coded messages being sent to agents in the field in different countries because basically it is a very effective way of getting a message to someone without any trace. If you send someone an email on the internet uh, that's normally traceable. If you send out a shortwave transmission the person the message is meant for simply needs a shortwave radio which can be bought uh, anywhere and they need a code system. That can be a one-off code pad that can have something written against a number and so the number is given out over the shortwave transmitter and the code is passed through. And even in today's technology these stations are still transmitting. Some people believe they are a massive elaborate hoax but I certainly have heard number stations in the last couple of years and they're fascinating to listen to. They're not necessarily regularly on the same frequency or at the same time, but they are still there. And if you look on the internet for information about the number stations, there's plenty of fascinating recordings and videos on YouTube of, of recordings of the number stations. Just before you go, Jim, just uh, give us a, a reminder of what your show's all about and where people can find it. Okay, well, it's a light entertainment program with some music and some media information and some interviews. And it's a new program, so we're developing it as we go. But you can listen to it by tuning into one of the shortwave stations that's broadcasting our program for us. And those are listed on our website, which is www.chelmsfordcalling.co.uk or .com. And you can also listen to the program via the website if you so wish. So there we go. Shortwave radios at the ready, and you might even hear our gym broadcasting internationally oh exciting that's if i ever managed to get a holiday okay you know the whole leveson report and all the newspaper and mobile phone hackings and all that yes who would forget that story you would have quite literally had to have lived i don't know in a cave indeed there's a new film about to come out very very soon from Richard Pepiat, who is the uh, Daily Star reporter that kicked a lot of this off. He's put together a film, but it's not being shown in the traditional way. And this is quite an interesting little example of self-publishing. He's put together this film that is a bit of an expose into what went on behind the scenes and what goes on at these uh, tabloid newspapers. Interested? Very much so. And because it can't be a mainstream film, this is being launched online. It actually launches on the 9th of December, uh, and it's going to be on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video, on the Xbox 360, and on Google Play. And it features a whole host of celebrities, including Steve Coogan, good old Alan Partridge, and Hugh Grant. It's set to be very funny, and a little bit controversial, and coming to screens 
in your neck of the woods very soon. It's called One Rogue Reporter, and here's a little extract. We don't have a free press. We have a press which is in the hands of a very small number of politically motivated people. Publishing stories which are false or distorted. Leering at anything that's remotely naughty, sexy. No, we don't care how you get the story. Just don't tell us the gory uh, details, uh, even if they're illegal. Just keep it to yourself. Rich Peppard is a very naughty boy and he's going to be sent to his room. One Rogue Reporter. Definitely worth a watch and that will be available from the 9th of December. Fantastic. I can't wait to download it. Frequency cast. Now loading. Interaction. Interaction time. Thank you very much to everyone for sending in your feedback. Quite a lot to get through and quite a few to trip Kelly up on, including all sorts of nice little technical words. Are you ready? Ah, yeah, just about. The first one we got was from M. Navia. No first name on this one. Talking about what we were chatting about in the last show about the change of presenters in the gadget show. Off you go, Kelly. Yes, uh, the comment is, I agree about the gadget show. I was what could be described as a gadget show fanboy. I watched every episode, the repeats, and visited the website on a regular basis where I found the how-to videos very informative. However, it seems to me a couple of years ago there was a change in policy and a desire to appeal to a younger demographic. As a result, with the younger presenters, the programme became less informative less practical and more a vehicle for pointless gadget builds. Sadly, it means that the only serious tech programme left is Click on BBC. And Frequency Cast as well, of course. We're a serious tech programme, aren't we? Well, of course, but I think he's talking about TV programme and we've not quite reached that stage yet. Possibly not. We're very serious, though, aren't we? Oh, of course. Cheers. Cheers. Drinking on the job, Kelly. Uh, Right, who have we got next? This one is from Chris Benitez. Yes, he says, hello, Pete and Kelly. I do love your show. I remember uh, the first time I heard Kelly on the show as a guest, and I think you were in a tech store reviewing some gadgets. You tasted a candy or a chocolate or something like that, and it was absolutely awful. I remember that. That was at a shopping centre for our Christmas special a few years ago, and that was Marmite chocolate. Do you remember that? It truly was one of the worst things. And I love Marmite, but Marmite chocolate is the worst thing I've ever tried. Yeah, it was pretty grim, wasn't it? So there you go. He's remembered hearing you there. Uh, It's one of your very early appearances here on Frequency Cast. Yeah, and he goes on to say, I just wanted to say I love listening to your podcast. And I'm from Mexico and so far away. I do podcasting and I may talk about your show on my podcast. That is www.talktolearn.ch. We are a community of English learners. Now that's a bit worrying, isn't it? Chris is using our English language to uh, represent how to speak English. Anyway, thank you very much, Chris. Glad you're listening and hello to everyone listening to us outside of the UK uh, in uh, good old Mexico there. Next, we've got Chris Newcomb, who's got a question about home cinema. He says, in the living room, I have an AV receiver hooked up to two speakers and run my DVD and Freeview box sound through this. I have always been put off home theatre systems due to the fact that they seem to involve a lot of wires trailing all over the living room. I was wondering if I could add a bit more sound to the living room by using an SPDIF adapter that converts the digital sound signal to Bluetooth and then add a set of Bluetooth speakers speakers at the back of the room my two main speakers are not running from spdiff 
Will the Bluetooth speakers be out of phase um, in terms of the sound from the stereo speakers? Well done, Kelly. That was a long old question there. Thank you very much for that. Well, Chris, the problem here isn't going to be to do with phase. It's going to be to do with delay. Encoding any audio and sending it over Bluetooth is going to add a small amount of time, meaning that the sound that leaves the Bluetooth speakers will be a fraction of a second behind that from your main TV front speakers. Even a difference of around 50 milliseconds will be noticeable. Some TV sets have the option to add an SPDIF delay to compensate for this. So have a look at your TV's manual before you buy a Bluetooth solution and just see if you'll be able to compensate for the delay. Good question though and uh, good luck. Next we've heard from Terry Costello. Yes, but before we get on to Terry, I feel that this was the time we should have cheersed. You know, I feel we should have had the ching of the glasses after I got through that paragraph. Oh, go on then. Let's have, let's have a Christmas chink. Cheers. Okay, so Terry Costello, he asks, may I ask if you know when the HP Stream 8 4G Windows tablets will be available in the UK? I noticed the Stream 7 is now available. Well, Terry, good question. The 3G version of the HP Stream 8 is now available, 159 plus free delivery. The 4G version is out in the US already, and you can actually order it from the Amazon UK website to be imported into the UK. Otherwise, we're expecting availability of the 8 4G here in the UK from early December. Oh, how exciting. And very nice it is too. It's a nice, cheap, sexy little tablet. So uh, definitely one just in time for Christmas. Anyway, thank you very much to everyone for sending in your questions. Great to hear from you. Please do get in touch for our uh, next show, which will be out in 2015, of course. How can you get in touch with us, Kelly? Well, you could do a nice, short, easy-to-read one. And uh, you could call us and leave us a voicemail. The number is 0208-133-4567. Or you can send us a text message, and that will limit you to 160 characters. It's 07882 043 521. Or you can send us an email via the Contact Us button on our site. But also, do not forget, Twitter is only 140 characters, and I will definitely be able to read that one. We'll catch you on the next show. Cheers. Bye-bye. Frequency cast. Shutdown in progress. Thanks for listening to today's Frequency Cast. For news updates and to get in touch with us, go to frequencycast.co.uk. While you're there, click the Add Us to iTunes button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Frequency Cast. Our shows are driven by your feedback, so please get in touch and tell your friends. Frequency Cast.